New Photic Realm announcement. Uh, submission windows for upcoming issues. Issue 10, the theme is justice. That's hard-boiled fiction with a supernatural twist. The deadline for that will be April 1st, 2020. Issue 11, the theme is kaiju. Giant monsters terrorizing civilization. Deadline will be October 1st, 2020 for those stories. Issue 12, the theme is lycanthropy, which is, of course, self-explanatory. Um, it can be any type of animorph with a bloody twist. Uh, so I guess that's werewolves and Jesus, giant, I don't know. What do people turn into? Seals? I've just got a little seal on my desk, so I thought of that. I don't know. You have to be more imaginative than I just was. Uh, but the deadline for lycanthropy, January 1st, 2021. Good luck to everyone submitting. I wrote this thing. I hope you like it. Let's talk about it, yeah. Let's lose track. Losing the plot podcast. Losing the plot podcast. Losing the plot podcast. Talking to Leo My guest this episode is Jonathan Cosgrove. He has a story in Crystal Lake Publishing's latest anthology, Arterial Bloom. Uh, we had a great chat, and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, as always, if you uh, would like to be on the show or if you want to tell me anything about it, you can always get in touch with me using losingtheplotpodcast at gmail.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, but uh, that's enough intro chat from me, so here is my chat with writer Jonathan Cosgrove. What have you been up to? Staying home for three weeks or so? Three weeks I've been home now, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's kind of getting a bit crazy at this point because I think they in Ireland it's been extended till May 5th, I want to say, or May, May 5th, it started start of May. It was meant to be like the end, ending next week or whatever, but now it's pushed back further, which I guess everyone knew, but then it's kind of like, oh, you kind of hoped you'd be able to leave yeah, your your house or like within two kilometers we have at the moment. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What about yourself? Um, What's going on there? Uh, so I'm in Stavanger in Norway. Um, oh, right. I haven't checked, but I assume it's the same. Um, but I'm like I'm working from home, mm. and uh, I don't really notice. I think this is good. this is working <laughs> great for me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have noticed that like a lot of my hobbies seem to line up with the fact that I don't mind being at home a lot. But then occasions like yeah. I wouldn't mind going to the pub. Like that would be nice, you know, just once in a while. That's true. You want the option at least. Yeah, just just so I can turn down invitations, you know, to be like, yeah, <laughs> as long as I know it's there. <laughs> it's funny. It just feels like everything is inverted. Like for so long they've been told, like, oh, you know, if you want to succeed in business or life you've got to be an extrovert you've got to go out there and sell yourself talk to people and now it's like the opposite everyone's clamoring to talk to me and i'm like i can't i can't be bothered man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> whatsoever. yeah yeah totally yeah I've, yeah I've noticed like even in like the work chats like there'll just be like comments coming in and i'm like i don't I actually need a lot of the correspondence i have with most of the people i work with my job on a day-to-day -day basis to really get my job done so i don't know if that's 
good or bad, or maybe it just makes me sound like a misanthrope. Or, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, definitely jarring to see what the real reality is now. Yeah. Maybe. What is your day job? I work as a copywriter for a marketing company. Oh, okay, cool. So just lots of lots of writing. Writing, yeah, yeah. There's like because I, I like some of it like is like blog writing and very kind of like tedious kind of talking about things I don't really care about. But um, like I kind of enjoy like the the advertisement kind of stuff, the the shorter kind of snappier stuff. Um, it. It probably it would probably if I started to explain it, it probably sounds really tedious and and lame, but like it's just, it's just like the the way you can structure sentences and stuff like that to kind of be more compelling. I think is a is a fun thing that I like I enjoy about my job. So yeah, no, it's a lot of writing every day, and the whole working from home thing is, suits me perfectly because I spend most of my time just with my headphones in trying to figure out how best to market the product anyway. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but. It's, it's 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 decent. I've been doing that for about two years now, maybe two and a half, two and a half years. Yeah, two years, two and a half. Is this something that you like? You trained for before you got the job, or no, not at all. Uh, before I did this, I was living in Japan for about four years. I was teaching English over there, so oh. so I was complete. I just I, I moved back home. Like I lived in the dock in Ireland, and uh, I moved back home. I was just like looking around for jobs, and this just kind of came up, and then I applied, got it, and still doing it and then it's like it's kind of one of those things where like i feel really lucky to be like writing every day as like my actual job um but uh yeah it's just something i just kind of balance and i really enjoy doing i guess interesting interesting that you enjoy getting to write every day because uh, like i've talked to some creative writing teachers and they're like um you know by the time by the end of the day they're looking at their own material writing their own stuff and they're like my god i've read so many short stories today i can't be like yeah i mean yeah it definitely definitely does get like that for sure like i definitely find myself kind of sick of screens like i I definitely get a headache towards the end of the day um but it's just it's an entirely different thing like you know for me like i like i wouldn't be looking Mm -hmm. at stories every day i'm looking at marketing material so it's very kind of you know it's it's a you're using a different part of your brain presumably uh so like yeah very mundane stuff and then like at the, when you get to kind of write some fiction or whatever and i and i try i have tried to get up earlier but lately last while it's not really working for me to get up before work and do my writing but now it's more of an evening thing but it's uh mm-hmm. it definitely kind of it, it engages me in a, in a different way i think than just generally writing my day job is yeah okay yeah it does sound like a very different type of writing um and I want to know if there are crossovers and stuff, but this thing about um, waking up early to write, I've, I mean, lots of people do it, but mm. there's absolutely no difference between writing for an hour in the evening and in the morning. It's just that the morning is tougher to do, I think, for most people. So they feel like they're a real writer. Oh, I woke up at five. I'm yeah. realer than you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very true. Yeah, it's definitely like, there's definitely like a whole kind of... Um like a mythos about the waking up early and getting in your hours, you know, all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I totally agree with you. Like there isn't any difference in the, the writing per se, but just like, I think mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a mental attitude that comes with it. I think, I think in the morning I do feel a bit fresher to kind of make mm-hmm. up. And like, you know, as I said, but like the, I'm looking at a screen all day, by the end of the day, I'm not particularly keen on looking at screens. I do it anyway, right. but I'm not too, too amped about it. Uh, so yeah, I don't think the writing itself really changes, but like the mental attitude that goes into it is a bit different. So I feel like maybe 
for me, I know it can be kind of, it feels a bit like a millstone sometimes where I'm like, do I have to actually go write more stuff now? Cause I've got a splitting mm-hmm. headache. I'm not sure if I can really look at the screen. So I do something that's like not that. Um, so for that's definitely where it can come in for me for being a bit more like maybe morning time would be better. But yeah, I totally agree that like the whole morning thing being the thing to make you a real writer is a bit of a, bit of a um, con in some ways. Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree with you, actually, you know, that you make the point that you're fresher in the morning. And also, like, um, yeah, there's something about just having woken up, you're kind of a bit more imaginative or something. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like there's just a whole kind of like you, you've less of that kind of internal monologue of this is terrible because you spent all your day like looking at stuff that's relatively decent or you've read stories, you've read newspapers or whatever. And then you're kind of coming back to your own work being like, why is everything I write garbage? <laughs> so whereas in the morning, mm-hmm. they can kind of push that away for a bit, like just a little bit longer where you can kind of live in your own bubble of your own head. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I definitely have I've found in the past Again, I really, I'm really not like a morning writer anymore. But when I started writing, I was very kind of like into the whole getting up early and getting a couple of hours of writing. And it definitely was helpful for me for the first while. But just you kind of have mm-hmm. to adapt, I think, as you go along and kind of be aware of where you're, you're feeling stronger. And if, if I'm struggling every day to get up in the morning, but yeah, I, I end up staying up late anyway. So it's like, would you not just use the evening time to kind of work on your writing? So that's just a me thing, you know, rather than the... A prescriptive head everyone should write i guess mm, yeah no i mean that that's super important it's part of like the i think the project of this podcast is trying to find out the ways in which each individual works because it's i think writing looks so simple especially when it's done well it, it, it's difficult to work out why it takes so long to do it well um but that's why it's because it's not just writing in your own voice or, or deciding on your genre or your topics of interest. It's how you write, it's when you write, it's mm-hmm. the material you respond to. It's all of that constantly. Um, yeah, it's, it's like the whole, like the thing where it's like, um, you have to write in your own voice kind of thing. Like, I think that's kind of true, but then also I think at a certain point it comes like, you have to write in your own voice, but not necessarily how you actually talk, but how you would want the tale to be told. I, like, you know, like it's not, I think, and that kind of comes through the, the cultivation of, of, of writing a lot. Like it's kind of, yeah, like de- getting down to your own process is a very tricky thing, I, I guess, because you just have to, it, there's a lot of introspection, I guess, and a lot of time spent by yourself doing it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I think um, we're going to talk about the story that you've got published in this great anthology recently, but also like if you're aiming for markets like that, that's really helped me because it's like, Yes, you have to um, you have to kind of write in your own voice, but you also have to understand that you're going to be in an anthology with lots of different writers, and it's tiring for a reader, I think, to constantly adjust in their head from one writing style to another. And so, to write kind of commercially, you have to just be very clear, mm-hmm. and you know, um, you have to find space within a conventional structure to to add your flavor to it but it's not the whole thing that's going into that story do you find something yeah i i, I what like you're saying there, it, it kind of resonates with something i've been thinking about lately like i've because now like i have this is my first story that's out and like i'm very you know proud of it being published and i'm kind of like i kind of feel the momentum of being like i could have more stuff published because you know it, mm-hmm. it's achievable and i'm kind of yeah. like looking at at magazines i enjoy and, and reading them and i'm starting to become aware of things i'm sure people have been telling me for years but just 
excuse me, it never kind of like clicked of like just being reading a reading a magazine and kind of understanding that their magazine has this kind of voice and that their stories are these lengths and they deal with these kinds of certain subject matters. Not to say that they're limited mm -hmm. or anything, but there's definitely like a flavor to these things. And I think mm -hmm. I'm slowly kind of starting to realize, oh, like, like you know, that would help. That might, I mean, I'm not publishing these magazines, but like that might help if I started writing or if I wrote a story for this magazine in this kind of style. And uh, mm -hmm. I like, I'm, I'm all about the whole kind of making sure that like you're, you're writing something that is a a, tone, like a story that's well suited for the market that you want it to be in. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, that's, that's stuff that's, that, as you're, you're talking there, like it, it all makes a lot of sense because it's all kind of stuff I'm thinking about more recently. Whereas before mm -hmm. I would have been kind of like, I'll just write whatever story in any style I want. But now I'm kind of more thinking about it consciously of like, well, what kind of story would work for, you know, XYZ magazine. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just, I think maybe there's a part of me that like, rebels against it because it seems less romantic to, to write like that but also i just want to be read more so i don't know <laughs> yeah. well these are things these are things we all think about and while not compromising artistic integrity of course <laughs> you know how do you do all these different objectives consciously you just can't you know yeah 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 it's it's more like a it's more of a thing you can like think yourself you can think to yourself about but i always think of this mm -hmm. david uh, David Miltko, he's the guy who wrote like Deadwood, where he's just like everything you tell yourself about writing when you're not writing is bullshit because it, you know, it, it's just it, when you get down to it, like it, it becomes a completely different thing. But when you talk about it and you theorize about it, it's this, you know, you can really craft it in your mind and it just doesn't mm -hmm. really end up like that. No, absolutely not. I think that all good writing just comes out of the creative process, which is just sitting down and writing day after day. Like I find when I'm writing, I mean, it's, it's constantly scary as well. How could you possibly feel like, like, I don't know, no matter how much you know, you're never accessing all of it at once. So you never feel like you know very much. So mm -hmm. the idea that you could sit down and write something of value, like a thousand, two thousand words a day, say, just off the top of your head seems always ridiculous, I think. Yeah. Um, always scary. Um, do, but do you work like that? Do you, would you, would you go for like a, like a word kind of day kind of thing or what, what's, oh, what's no. your kind of thing? No. no? My, I think like I'm a lot more confident as a writer now, such that um, I've never been good at being told what to do, and I certainly can't tell myself what to do either. Right. Um, it's kind of why I started. Nobody asks you to write, right? Right. Yeah. There's so many writers. So, <laughs> so something tells you to start writing, and it's not. It, it it's kind of subconscious. So I don't know why I would then feel like I could take over it. So, I. A good example is what happened at the beginning of this year. Like, I always take a break over Christmas. And so I started writing again. And I was like, right, I have this science fiction story that I've almost completed. Leo, why don't you start writing on that? That one, because it's almost done. It'll be the easiest thing to start up. And my brain was like, no, I'm not doing that. I was like, OK, um, why don't you write some horror stories? Those are getting easier, I feel, because you don't need to build the world in the same way you do with sci-fi. You don't need to check, fact check all the ideas. Why don't you write some horror stories? All right, OK, I'll start writing those. And then my brain was like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. I want to write some sci-fi stories now. And I was like, Wait, what? Like it was just whatever, whatever I told myself to do. Even if I was trying to make it easier, my brain was just not going to do it. So, um, I no daily word counts any kind of uh any kind of limiting, any kind of telling myself anything. I won't do it. But but the thing is, like if I don't do it, I'll just absent-mindedly jot down notes throughout the day. Then suddenly I've met my word count anyway because this is something I enjoy doing. I'm I'm constantly reading every day and constantly writing every day because that's just 
part of who I am. I don't need to, I don't need to restrict it. And and I'm, I'm bored of the idea of the real writer. I think it's a nonsense term. I don't know who made it up. I don't care. I think everyone has the right to write. And I think that people crack it and do it in their own way over and over again, you know? So yeah, no, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. Um, that was a big ramble, but thanks for listening. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, I totally, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah, I, I do, I do think, like, you know, I think work into the day can be a bit kind of shitty or you know, whatever. I think um, I heard one time where someone was talking about writing a novel, and they were like, "I don't really have a work camp, but I like being in that world for a certain period of time every day, so it's always kind of fresh in my head." And I kind of like that more than anything. Like, I think work camps for me are kind of they're, they're stupid at this point because it, it's like you, you were saying there earlier, you were like if you are you're making yourself want to write a thousand or two thousand words of of good quality writing every single day and you're expecting that to be good every single day, it's probably not going to happen. Like, but I could definitely, because of my job and because I write all the time, you know, the muscle memory of being able to write very quickly mm. is right there. So if I want to write like a, a thousand words in an hour, like that's that's very, very achievable. But it, it, will, will those thousand words be any good? Probably not. <laughs> like you know, like I'd say, be pretty pretty terrible. I'll probably cut out most of them. So like at the moment, I'm working on a longer project, and I have a word count, which is more just to kind of get me to sit down and do it. Because like it with the whole quarantine thing, I think it's very easy to kind of like, you know, just do absolutely nothing. But um, yeah, I have like a work count of like 300 words, which is not like for for me personally. I know some people write uh, more and some people write less, whatever. But like 300 words for me is very very small, so I can kind of be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna sit down, gonna write 300 words, and I'll usually sit down for an hour anyway, and mm. like probably spend a lot more time thinking about what I want the story to be and how it to progress, and not worry about my word count so much. I'm more kind of worried about like, well, what can I do to make the story actually interesting to anybody other than me? So. Yeah, so mm. I, yeah, I, I, the whole idea of a real writer thing, as you mentioned there, like I'm totally, I'm totally on board that like it's 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 mostly nonsense, uh, and that you should just kind of like find your own way in the in the process. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I think like as time goes on, once you can trust, once you've seen yourself finishing off projects, you know you're going to. I personally never let anything go to waste. I've never given up anything. <laughs> So um, I know I'm not going to do that. So then I can take my time with it. And the slower I write, the better quality it is. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know anyone who writes fast well. I know lots of people who write fast and I know lots of people who publish a lot, but I don't know any of them who do it well. You know? <laughs> um, it's like, wow, yeah, you're correct. That's a lot of books. <laughs> like, you're really <laughs> stacking them up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. There are definitely people who are. There are some people that I love that do write a lot. Um, but I think the majority, I do find that when I kind of think about like some people, because I, I love artists who are prolific, like whether it's Prince or Frank Zapp or whoever, like I love people who just like have a lot to say, I guess, mm -hmm. about their particular craft. I know I just mentioned two musicians as opposed to writers, but like, um, I think I there's like, the, yeah, there's, there's, but there's just something there about when people are prolific that like, I always kind of get this feeling that they want to say something very particular about via their their medium that they've chosen and I, that just kind of makes me very excited about about them because i'm like oh i wonder what that is <laughs> i wonder what, what it is they want to say or what they what they want to get out i think a philip k dick is probably a, a good example because he has wrote so so much and like a lot of it 
probably isn't great. Like I haven't, I haven't read all of it, so I can't say that for certain, but like uh, a lot of it probably isn't fantastic, but like he's very much trying to get towards a greater truth that he himself is very interested in finding, uh, which I just find very interesting. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that um, what you're hinting at is the idea that a person's like rate of putting out fiction is dependent on who they are and what they want what they're trying to get out of the process. And I think that's true. And I think that, um, I don't know. Um, it's tough because in order to just keep writing and in order to keep enjoying the process, I've had to not necessarily give up the idea of making money from this or something, but just ignore it entirely. Mm. So, yeah. uh, all I really focus on is like how good can my day's writing be? It's all I really think about now. Right. Um, but of course, there are certain considerations towards how much you would have to write if you want to make this your living. Mm -hmm. um, but nobody knows what that is anymore. You know, like I love, uh, do you know Patricia Highsmith? I know of her, but I've never actually read any of her stuff. Okay, so she did like The Talented Mr. Ripley, Strangers yeah. on a Train. Right. Um, brilliant. And she wrote like, she has like had a crazy prolific output because she wasn't, it was her living and she had to make money from it. Mm -hmm. um, but who knows how to do that in this day and age, you know, it's so different. I don't know whether or not it's worth speeding up in order to make more money from writing because it's maybe tougher now than ever to, to do that for a living. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, no, I don't you mean. Yeah, there's a lot of writers I like from, from way back in the day, like the the kind of pulp writers, like the noir pulp writers in there, like David Goodis is one that brings to mind of, um, or what's that guy's name? Max Brand. I'm probably getting that name wrong, but it's something like, it's not his real name, but it's like, um, he was a pen name for this guy who just wrote like tons and tons and tons of fiction. And he was mm -hmm. doing it for, to support himself as his job. And, you know, some of these works are held up as being like, you know, some of the best, you know, fiction, detective fiction ever. And then some of it's obviously like Drek, like it's probably terrible, but like he was just writing it to get paid. So mm -hmm. yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. Yeah, it is kind of like, yeah, it probably is better to put it into perspective of being like, when I go to write, I want something that's enjoyable for me because as you say, like it's kind of, it's a hard, it's a, no one's getting into writing to to earn a lot of money. I don't think that's really why people start writing. Or I mm -hmm. presume it's why 99.9% of .9 people <laughs> don't start writing um yeah because it's not exactly the most lucrative business in the world but um yeah i know yeah prolificacy is just one of those things that just kind of eternally fascinates me and yeah whether it's whether the amount of it is good or not is definitely debatable but yeah I, i'm always just kind of frequently excited when someone's like oh they've got like 300 published stories i'm like well, i probably won't read all of them i'll probably read like four or five <laughs> but like you know i'm definitely excited about the fact that they've got tons more <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have like, <laughs> writers who like have one book and then like they're 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 they blow up and they're amazing. And you're like, oh wow, that that's great. They only need the one book and I already know their class. But there's other writers who have twenty books and you only kind of hear about them on book nineteen. You're like, what is with the market? Like why why is why don't I hear about yeah. these writers earlier? So Yeah, absolutely. But like you can't clearly you can't pin any of your self worth to uh success in terms of prolificacy or money and fame because nobody knows how it's working and nobody's in control of it you yeah, know very true um, i think that's the thing that i think that's the thing i get with having talked to so many writers is like god if you want to improve just stop 
find ways to not beat yourself up about this because you're not you're not in control in a way that like in a way you've never you probably never encountered it at least that i'd never encountered in any other aspect of life because i'm an engineer by day so it was like i got the good degree so they gave me a good job because the good jobs go to the people with a good degree or whatever but in in the world of writing it's just like anyone's guess you know <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah you could be so, a fantastic writer and no one is ever going to hear of you or you could be like yeah you kind of pulled out a good good book and you know there's i have there's a story that's popping in my head as i started thinking about that i was um do you mind if I start just telling this random story? But this, yeah, uh, of course. That's what, that's what it's for. <laughs> so I, just, I was just thinking about just books that just kind of pop up. I there was I'm not going to start. Well, I was I was waiting to get on a plane, and there was like this uh, group of people behind me, and this girl started telling her friends about. She really offhandedly, I just heard her being like, "Oh, I tell you, did I tell you I'm getting the book published?" And her friends were like, "No, I didn't know you wrote. That's amazing." She's like, "Yeah, yeah, you know, I just, you know, I had this idea and." Um, you know, I said it to, you know, Julie or Sarah or whatever. And she, and she was like, Oh, well, my friend's like an agent that, you know, you know, random house publishing. And she was like, Oh, no way. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, yeah. And then, and they were, her friends were kind of like, Oh, what's the book about? And the, the, this lady basically described like the plot to uh, Eat, Pray, Love. And I was just kind of okay. like, oh, that's, that's mad. That's, that, that's Eat, Pray, Love. And then it was like, oh, that's really cool. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I just, I just, they, they started stalking. I just thought in like, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, what's the name of the, what, no, but, but Barnes and Noble, <laughs> the, just yeah. all, you know, the bookstore just back there, like they, they have it, they have it there today. And she was just so excited about it, but like it very much seemed through the conversation that this person had like a very mild passing interest in writing, but now had like a book display back in the, in the bookshop there and, and was like, just just kind of talking offhandedly and I was like dying inside because I'm like I don't even have a story published at this point and I'm you know it's like I'm like trying to force myself to get up early and write a lot and it's just like the, these moments where you're like god it just, there's really no really no telling who is going to be like published and well-renowned because apparently you can just get published quite easily if you know the right people you know yeah, sure. Um, it could be complete nonsense. She could just be like, yeah, did I not introduce myself? My name's Liz Gilbert. <laughs> See, there I am on the shelf. It's like, That's not your author photo. It could be complete nonsense, you know. I remember... Yeah, I just like that. Maybe, maybe I was bamboozled. <laughs> I've been lied to. Like, I, no, I was on the bus in London once and I heard these, like... I heard this bunch of school kids and one of them was stinging and then she was like, yeah, like I know this DJ and he's going to like put my like mixtape on the radio, but I told him like, don't do it yet because I want to perfect my voice. And I was sitting there listening to that, reading a book, just being like, wow, that's so like strong of her to want to perfect her voice before that. Like, you know, <laughs> like, wait, it's obviously nonsense. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's why I always tell people. Sorry, that's why I always tell people that, like, don't get me into politics because I'll just listen to, like, the last person I heard and just be like, <laughs> sounds like an excellent policy. He just said, like, do that, you know? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think, I, but I think that's, I, I think that helps in fiction writing is to, to keep an open mind and to be able to see things from multiple characters' perspectives, at least. That's what I tell myself and other people. How do you mean, sorry? Like, not to make decisions about things, not to have allegiances or strong opinions, because I, I just, I can't make any. <laughs> I don't have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I feel like I have the opposite problem. I just have too many strong opinions about things, and then they often end up just like causing me more trouble than it's worth. <laughs> like it's always like a case of like I'll be knee deep in an argument, going like, "Why am I here? Why did I start this? I definitely could have yeah, stopped yeah. this moment." <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, the the empathy thing, I think, is a. Uh, I think what there's that quote about like reading like makes you more empathetic, but like writing like and really trying to get better at I think really amps up your empathy to like the worst degree ever where you're just empathizing with like just plants in your living room and being like, must be tough for you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know, because like, I, if I'm writing, like I say, I try to represent different opinions, but I'm doing it because people around me in life seem a lot more confident than I think they should be. <laughs> so I don't know if it's like an empathetic intention is to give them a story where it's like, Explain this, then, if you're so confident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I remember being in university and, like, when I first started, like, realizing that people just were full of shit. Like, just people who... <laughs> you'd meet people and they'd be, like, in the bookstore and they'd be looking at the book that you knew that you'd get in your class and you'd kind of start talking to them. And then, you know, months would go by and you're friends with that person that you kind of mentioned that first day and be like, yeah, I had no idea what I was at. Like, absolutely not a clue. But, like, just thought if I stood around long enough, people would kind of think that I knew what was going on. I'm like, yeah, I totally get that. <laughs> you know, it's like the beginning of my being like, wow, everyone is lying all the time and it's kind of fine, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. For me, for me, that really, I worked that one out only like last year in particular. I started like a filmmaking club here because I'm like a self-taught writer. So I figured I can be a self-taught filmmaker. Um, and I just started making stuff with my phone with whoever showed up and everyone was like, I, I know the guy you need to, like, they knew less about it than I did. And they were like, I know the guy you need to talk to. You need to set up a limited company. I was like, why are these random people bossing me about, about how I should do this? Yeah. when they know less about it than I do. And like, what are you going to tell all these big networking friends of yours? I know a guy who owns a phone that you want to <laughs> like, He's got the connect, man. He's got that phone. <laughs> got, nobody else knows the app. You know, it's only been downloaded by like a hundred thousand people. Like, <laughs> you know, and yeah. that was the one for me. But it was also like, how many of these people are not doing what they want to in life because they're too afraid of, um, I don't know, looking silly or or not being able to do it at first? Like, who's who's able to do anything well at first? Like, why is that a a good reason not to do something? You know. Yeah, I think it. You know, it's usually like how much how much embarrassment you can tolerate at the beginning of something is like the. It's like, mm. it, and it, it, that's why like I think writing is probably like a good a good thing, and why some people probably get into it is because it's just you're by yourself most of the time. You can kind mm. of work on it slowly, and until you feel confident enough to be like, look at my story. Um, yeah. Yeah. Whereas other stuff where you kind of kind of have to be in front of other people is just like stuff where people like stand-up comedy like i would never never do stand-up comedy ever because i would mm. be so bad at it to begin with because mm. you have to be in front of someone to get good at it uh mm. so i definitely think maybe there's none of that like but the whole like start the the film thing is funny because when i was in japan there was a film competition in in toyama where i lived and uh like people just started just being kind of like i got a phone i'll make a movie and like some of the films were just terrible like just, just some of the worst ones are. But like they were great because people were like trying to make movies, which is like the, the really fun part. And like, and because everyone was so like supportive, it was like a very kind of like 
you keep doing it even if it wasn't great you still be like that was great do more and like this kind of it's this kind mm-hmm. of um i, I guess uh, echo chamber of like you can do it, you know which is definitely what you need when you start off with these things did you did you have a like a when you started writing did you have like a writer's group or anything like that to like kind of keep you going or were you just always writing as a thing um i started writing a novel but i couldn't really i didn't get the structure right because that's i should have started off smaller i would definitely advise people to just write short stories and send those out and send them out to a group of you know other writers Mm -hmm. especially like if you're starting out and they're starting out great then you'll all learn together you're all at the same stage um you know you'll all get better at the same rate you should be looking at seeking out people at your level to begin with um so yeah, it took me a while to get around to that. I think because of that embarrassment thing, it's like, please don't tell me I'm bad at this, even though I just started. But that's a question of being young as well, I think. I don't know that I really care about being bad at something or about being laughed at either. Because when I, I, I've had, we all end up with a share of snarky rejections, unfortunately, but everyone I've received, I've been like, you're a dick for being snarky about this, you know? <laughs> Why should I feel bad about you being a dick, you know? Oh, um, you've got actual like rejection things that are, that are snarky. Oh, awful, awful stuff. Oh, but then I just feel I, I feel bad for the people who's who've sent them to me. Like, why on earth do you think you can Talk. write something like that to another human being? You know. Yeah, um, yeah. And the ones at the very top, like if you submit to the very top magazines and you're lucky enough to get a personalized rejection, they're always lovely. Like, of course they are because you don't get to that level without being kind to everyone you meet i don't think you know yeah. everything about faking it till you make it and everything, like it's just nonsense i don't know who came up with that it, it, it's it's the it's again it's kind of what i'm trying to learn what motivates different people because whatever motivates them in particular is how they should be if you're not somebody who naturally fakes it until they make it don't do that you know just mm-hmm. especially because this is all about authenticity anyway aim for that instead yeah that, bit of a ramble as well but anyway i think i think the vibe here is just like lots of rambles back and forth where you're like that's a good ramble i'm like i've got a better ramble let me ramble more at you (laughs) (laughs) that's 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 the whole thing we're doing here yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. um sorry i just completely blanked on what you just said Oh, authenticity. Uh, yeah. I don't think I, I don't think it was an interesting point anyway (laughs) no no you you mentioned authenticity authenticity and uh yeah i was just thinking about the whole writing your own voice thing and how like the the whole write your own voice thing I found when I started writing was that my internal monologue voice was just like me doing an impression of a writer I liked, like adopting like an accent in my head. And then that and I'll be like, that's how I write. That's like, that's how I speak, but it's not how I actually speak. And yeah, I think that the, the authenticity thing is like so hard because I don't think anyone, anyone really knows who they are. It's <laughs> like, mm-hmm. The most lifetime movie thing I could have said in this entire interview. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think there's definitely like an element of that there with the authenticity. I've said authenticity about 20 times in the last 30 seconds. <laughs> it was super authentic. Um, <laughs> but no, definitely. I think when you start writing, you're like, hmm, that's like a sentence I've read in a book. You're like, yes. yeah, someone else's book. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. it's not what you do. But, and I think um, I'm, I'm reading this book now about uh, directing actors, which is really interesting because I assumed that as an actor you kind of you have to think about the emotions you're going to be feeling at every stage but actually the the strategy for good acting seems to be to distract somebody by giving them an objective that has 
very little to do with what they're saying to let the authentic voice out instead. And so I feel like in order to write in your own voice, you have to drop the notion of attempting to do that and just uh, kind of follow follow an idea and, and assume it will fall out in a way that you write, you know? Yeah. I think it's... Uh, it, sorry. No, no, no. I was just I was thinking about that, that concept of like, so you're distracting the other person that you're acting with, you're distracting yourself, the actor... Well, the thing is, like, if if you're to say, if you were to say a line, like, I know, I don't know, like, uh, I I found the tech, I found the emails where you were talking about me, something, I would assume that as an actor, you would say, right, I'm, I'm hurt in this moment. So I have to, I have to act hurt. The Mm -hmm. trying to control your emotions is, is apparently a way to just make yourself self-conscious about them and not let them out. So instead, you should say, try and say this line, like you're trying to make the other person laugh. You know, give them some sort of active objective to do with the person that they're talking to. Try and make them laugh or try and make them feel your pain or try and, I don't know, try and demean them by saying it. And then by oh. having some sort of uh, objective to to uh, to influence the other performer, that way whatever emotions come out, come out organically by not paying attention to them, you know? It seems so counterintuitive. Yeah. But I think something like that applies to writing as well. There's a lot you have to ignore in order to let it happen. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I really like that. I love hearing about like particularly acting. I always think there's like again, it's just something I probably wouldn't do, but like it just sounds like something where like you have to juggle a lot. Um, but probably when you're doing it I, I think like when we were talking at the start, we were kind of, I was mentioning about the theorizing about writing, but then you probably theorize by acting a lot. But when, once you're in it, you probably just have to kind of go with your instincts a lot. Um, mm, yeah. Which, yeah. Which, that's really, really cool. Yeah. There, there's, um, I am a fiend for like reading like the craft books. I'm, I'm all about craft of writing books. I just, it's like the ultimate form of procrastination for myself. But one thing like <laughs> that I'm just like, I, I, I struck on and it's really helped me in this novel draft I'm doing at the moment is like the idea of like a contradiction at all times of a contradiction of like a character feeling something or, or moving like, like, as you say, like trying to get a particular response from, from another character, but feeling a different thing. And that kind of like being there, I guess, conflict internally, which is, for me, revelatory, but I'm sure like for other people, it's very kind of like obvious. Um, so yeah, that's been like a really fun thing to, to be playing with. Well, that makes sense. I think that like the reason we have to read so many different strategies is you have to find the one that resonates with you, the one way that, you know, you think about, um, about what you're doing. And you're also constantly adapting that by learning new theories and ideas always i think yeah absolutely and then because like when i'm like writing i'll be i'll think about something that i read like a year ago and be like oh yeah that kind of makes sense now whereas when i read it it didn't really make any sense to me at all whereas now i'm like i totally get it because i'm doing that exact thing and and that can start becoming a part of the thing that i do but um Mm -hmm. yeah i i am all about the whole kind of reading up on how to do something before you actually do it uh that is just an ingrained part of my personality it's probably a terrible trait to have but i i can't stop doing it um like even when I was like learning how to drive last year, I, I only learned, just learned how to drive last year. And, uh, Thirty years old, finally got there. And uh, yeah, but like the, before I even got into a car, I was like reading about how to start a car. Like it's just like being like, when I get into that car, I'm gonna turn that key into ignition. Like you won't believe, you know, because <laughs> that's like how I have to go about learning anything. But uh, yeah, 
Um, I think, yeah, it's a balance, I guess. Like, I particularly, when I have a new writing project, I'm just like, mm, this seems like, this seems a bit like a story I read last year. Okay, I can't start my story until I've read that story from last year three times. And then it's like, yes. no, I think you're just, I think you're just scared of typing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, the, the book I'm writing at the moment. Like, I, 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 it's nothing like the book that I, I'm thinking of, but I was just like, I love that book. I got to go back and start reading that book and really get to grips with like what they were doing so that I can kind of do it, but a little bit different. But I, I mm. managed to stop myself from doing it, but I'm still thinking about, I will get to that book at some point. But I find mm. it for myself, I don't know how, how your process works with, in terms of like research or anything like that. Uh, but last year I had like the first kind of, first kind of uh, it was an anthology i was submitting to and uh the the story kind of required a bit of research so i started like getting books and you know, reading articles and doing all things be like i'm researching and like i read a lot but i noticed that none of the stuff that i was reading really kind of came through at the time it took like months mm -hmm. later when it was kind of like it, it kind of like congealed in my head into some form of like a story that it kind of came out then but like initially like the research element does not help me at all because I, I will just end up writing the story that I was going to write anyway and it takes like quite a while for new information to really sink in I know oh definitely yeah um because what what you're doing and what people are coming to you for is your use of imagination it's not about the facts that you can collect um and I don't know it's like it I did research for a thing recently but I really enjoyed it because I realized that I no longer felt the need to hide behind facts anymore. It was just like, well, if this is relevant, it's going to show up. I'm not going to feel like I haven't done enough work because if it doesn't appear in the story, maybe the story doesn't need it anyway, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was like, a, yeah, because the thing I was reading about was like a lot of like reading into like psychotropic drugs from like South America and be like, yeah, I really need to read this book so that I can really get to grips with that. But it mm. just like, it made like, like, absolutely had no impact on the story that I wrote whatsoever <laughs> but then at the end of last year I wrote a book I uh, wrote, wrote a story and like it like there was like a, a a strain within that story where I was like oh yeah I could really really use that information that I learned eight months ago now because <laughs> it's actually something I, I can creatively think about as opposed to just like inserting to be like look at me I know a thing so yeah definitely I, I think that um everything everything that we read and everything that we practice writing always shows up again later in some form. Like it's never, it's not that it's never a waste, but you can't predict what's going to be useful and what isn't. So I wouldn't feel like, I think again, when I was younger, I used to feel like, Oh my God, I'm reading this, but it doesn't seem to be relevant anymore. I have to stop reading this right now. If I want to succeed and like, oh, what, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. nobody really knows. Nobody yeah. knows. I, how do you feel about it? Like, I, I, I'm a pretty slow reader, so I, I kind of mm. often fall behind like the like the, the the best new books or the best new novels, whatever I said. And I kind of it'll be like, oh, have you heard? like I can't even think of a book off the top of my head. But it'll be like, this will be this is the best haunted house story ever. And as soon as I hear that, I'm like, what's the first haunted house story? Like, what's the first big one? And I'll go back, <laughs> like burnt yeah. off by Robert. How, or like. <laughs> How dare I feel like I can write a haunted house story until I've read the entire body of work of Edgar Allan Poe? <laughs> <laughs> yes. No. Again, it's procrastination. I think that like the things that the things that have helped me get better as a writer more than anything are practice and life experience. You can't do anything about life experience. Just has to, that just happens. So just practice. <laughs> like that's the best thing. As for like how much you read, well, 
always be reading and that'll take care of itself. What can you do more than that, you know? Um, yeah. But this is not something that you can catch up with. And I, I, I really do, you know, when you hear things like art is subjective and writing is subjective and so on, it feels like a cop out to try and make everyone feel good, but it also just happens to be true. I think a lot of the stuff that makes the best lists of what's the best story, I, I like almost none of it. And I think that's uh, probably <laughs> an asset to me having an original voice, not one that gets published often, but one that is original at least. It's not, um, what can you do about, uh, you know, sorry. You said, you said, you said no, no, sorry, you, I'm interrupting you. You were saying earlier that you're like, oh, okay, you know, I don't really have, I don't really have the, I'm, I'm sure you have the opinions, but I think you were kind of saying like, you know, I don't have these strong opinions. And this is like, well, you just said you hate all the books on the best of lists. So clearly you yeah, do yeah, have like, a very strong idea of like what it should, what is a good story or what, what is a good piece of art. Well, um, not something I'm in control of. Again, I think that you, you don't know what resonates with you or what doesn't. And I'm, I'm not, I don't know why it is that I don't like uh, almost everything I read, but maybe that's why, maybe that's why you write as well, is because you're not finding what you enjoy often. Yeah. Whereas before, I would have felt like, wow, if I don't enjoy so much of what I'm reading, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I'm not as part of this world as I thought I was. But yeah, I don't know. I totally get that. Like, well, I feel that sometimes when like I'm reading like a like a, a book that's like the book and it's, you know, or, or even seeing a movie or like it could be anything, but I, I won't be really, really kind of engaging with it or won't be resonating with me. And I kind of think like, maybe I just don't have good taste. <laughs> like, you know, it's yeah, yeah. part of it. It's like, oh, maybe you're just a complete idiot. Like you never had any, <laughs> anything. Um, but yeah, I think it takes a bit of, a bit of kind of striving to realize that maybe, no, you just, maybe not everything's for everyone, I suppose. No, definitely not. I mean, like your taste is an original synthesis of all the stuff that's out there, so it's going to seem weird cause if it's original, because it's going to feel like it's all over the shop. My uh, my sister is like famous for this. Like, uh, I never know what to recommend her, and like whatever films she enjoys, always just seems it, it's a complete mystery to both of us. It's such <laughs> a random collection of stuff, and it's like, well, if you like this. I assume you would like that. And she's like, no, I would, I hate that. You know, it's, yeah, but it's, yeah. <laughs> you, you don't choose your tastes. Um, yeah. And as long as you enjoy some stuff that you read, <laughs> then <laughs> good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think I just always just find it like bizarre that like, don't be like, because I always take my, 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 some, a lot of my reading suggestions from like writers I really like. And they'll be like, oh, well, this was the best book I read last year. And I'll read that book. And, I'll often, more often than not, I'll be kind of like, this is terrible. Like, this is an objectively bad story or whatever. But then often, mm. some, sometimes, like, you know, stuff is wonderful and fantastic and I'm really excited about it. But, yeah, it's, I was, yeah, it's, it's, finding what you actually really care about, I think, is, is hard. Well, when they said it was a highly subjective industry, they, they weren't kidding. Like, <laughs> yeah, they certainly weren't kidding. Yeah. It's, it's uh, I don't know. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, also, whatever is supposed to be the best book that a particular author wrote is rarely the one of theirs that I like the best as well. Yeah. Do you find that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm trying to give an example off the top of my head, but nothing's coming to mind because that's, that's what it's like for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, there's that. There's always like, I always just find like there would be like a movie or like yeah, the movies are coming to my head quicker. But like there was there was a film that came out a couple years ago. I'm not gonna name any films because I don't want rag on any movies <laughs> or whatever. But like uh, there was a movie that came out. And it's super popular, super popular horror movie, and I just. I just watched it. I thought it was absolute garbage. And I kind of like, and the people who were kind of like taking it as being really good would be kind of like my 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 friends in 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 the writing community. So I was kind of like, oh, they're just they like it for the writing, or there's something about it that resonates for writers, perhaps was my thinking. And I kind of just said to my mates who, who don't write, and they were just, no, it's the greatest movie ever. Like it's it's wonderful. Like, it's the most fantastic thing that's ever happened in the history of cinema. You know, <laughs> I was just kind of like, I'm just kind of blown away. I just, and I, I continue to get arguments about it, but it's just, yeah, I just, I just, it's so weird to find like things that just don't resonate with you so hard when everybody else is seemingly like really connected to it. Oh, that, sometimes you can, sometimes you can just be like, what planet am I on? Who are these people? Like what, what's going on? It can really, throw you existentially sometimes like yeah yeah absolutely yeah and because even like with people like uh, i would share like like 99 percent like we love the same things and then it's this one thing and i'm like but how <laughs> how do you not see this being objectively terrible <laughs> but it's also like it's also why like and, and we haven't done it i don't enjoy discussing books with other people like i don't do it often yeah because um, i don't like when people are like, all right, sell me that book. It's like, explain to me why that was good. It's like, I can't do that. It's a waste of time as well. And also, like, like we're talking about there's so many ways to hide from trying to be a good writer. And one of them is but is 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 feeling like you understand a great body of literature and that arguing about it with somebody else is a good use of your time that makes you a better writer. Because I don't think it is, you know? It's just a, an interesting pastime. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, when you do kind of say it like that, it's like, yeah, at the end of the day, books are just meant to be read. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah. <laughs> kind of like ruins like your like your whole like existential crisis over what your next plot point should be. You're like, yeah, yeah, I guess doesn't really matter in, in the long run. <laughs> um, <laughs> does anything anyone does? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess not. I'm trying not to freak myself too much out on a Saturday afternoon, but yeah, I guess in the long run, most things don't mean absolutely anything. <laughs> so, yeah, it's important to be kinder to yourself in quarantine week three i think but everyone's <laughs> heading that way yeah um, uh, everyone realized that there's no point to absolutely anything <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah agreed so um your let me talk about your story tell me about your story in this anthology uh my story is called mouths filled with seawater um i was trying to explain the plot the other day to somebody but it just sounds like a Sounds like a Lifetime movie. Like uh, it just <laughs> it has that kind of feel to it. But um, basically, it's about I wrote it when I came back from Japan, so it's inflected a lot of me being kind of like I'm lost in the world. But the story is about this uh, girl who comes back to her hometown, and she's her memory is quite messed up, I guess, and uh, she becomes obsessed with uh, this girl in her town who she may or may not be connected to, and that girl is a visual artist and. Throughout the story, you're kind of getting clues about maybe your narrator isn't the most reliable person in the world, and perhaps the visual artist has more of a connection to the to the narrator than you thought. And yeah, it's very creepy. <laughs> so, inspired by how you felt when you came back from Japan? Yeah, yeah, because because um, I was living in Japan for about four years, and then I moved back to my hometown and. Yeah, it's just a, a weird experience. It was very reverse culture, shocky. So it was kind of uh, 
strange for the first while, so I ended up just kind of writing the story. It came there really quickly. I was really, I remember like I wrote it. It was like um, maybe like four or five days. I think I remember then. I was very like that's very quick for me. And uh, mm-hmm. so I wrote that, and then I was kind of like, oh. And then I don't know if like you if you can share the feeling of like you do something so quickly and you think it's quite good, but because it happened so quickly, you're like it's probably not that good <laughs> because you did <laughs> So I was kind of sitting on that story for about a year, I think, before I really did anything with it after. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I think that, um, well, again, we were talking about prolificacy and how fast you're supposed to write and how slowly, I mean, I don't really know, but yeah, like you, I'm suspicious if it comes out fast, but also if it does, that often means it's just, sometimes they come out fully formed, sometimes they don't, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. Nobody no. knows. Someone was saying something one time where it's like, you know, some stories like it was Joe Lansdale, it's like some stories bleed out of you, but some stories are like building a chair. And I was like, yeah, oh, that's that's kind of cool. <laughs> like, I like, like that's that a good kind point. Of, yeah, that kind of craft mm-hmm. and idea about like how you're actually meant to go about writing a story most of the time. Mm-hmm. And so, have you in the story, do you feel like you've incorporated the mood of where you live? Um, yeah, I think I have because. <clears throat> I was like, I was, I think, so I started writing like really, like really like focusing on writing, I guess, in like 2013, sort of the story mm-hmm. about 2017. And up to that point, I've been writing stories. And I think I showed the story to a friend of mine and I kind of, I kind of just asked like, where do you think this story is set? And they were kind of like, oh, I don't know, like some small town in America. And I kind of realized at that point that I was writing a lot of stories that were set in this kind of Stephen King universe where like it was all this kind of nondescript small town in the United States. And at that point, I'd never actually even been in, in America. So I was kind of, I, I kind of, I, I started to kind of realize I should probably focus more on like writing stories that were like more resonant with actual Irish culture. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a, a writer I really love called uh, Usman T. Malik. And uh, he has a short story in a, in a book called uh, Ex- Exigencies. And the story mm-hmm. is set in uh, Pakistan. And like, he's not afraid to like bring in like, like references to Pakistani life and, and, and culture. And it's, it's all kind of like, it's, it gives us this real kind of like, like, I guess like immediate feel of like, uh, like, uh, like it's actually in a different place as opposed to lost stories that can kind of just feel like they're being explained too much like he would mm-hmm. use like a like a like a word that i would have no familiarity with so i would kind of be like oh i'd have to kind of go and look it up like that's just me because i would want to look up what that word means but just like the idea of being unafraid of being like of using your own culture as much as as much as you want like really mm-hmm. resonated with me so since that point i think that maybe mental see what was like the first story that i started to be like i'm gonna make this more irish than than I would have been normally comfortable with because I often find that like there'd be some Irish writers that I find reading kind of not not nauseating but like a little bit nauseating because it, it feels like there's a very kind of there's a and this isn't every Irish writer but like there's definitely a, a certain strand of Irish literature which skews towards like this kind of twee feeling where everything mm-hmm. just is a bit kind of diddly I diddly do and uh, I hate that with an absolute <laughs> passion especially because i've been in japan for four years where they have so many irish bars where it's like you know the proper green leprechauns at the door like terrible 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 trad music playing over the the <laughs> speakers and you're just like, and i was just sound so sick of that i want to write something that just really felt like ireland to me or like how i interpret ireland being um mm-hmm. yeah so yeah 
a very long-winded answer to you asking if it felt a bit Irish. It's like, yeah, <laughs> it does. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's a very useful explanation because I think that um, how Ireland seems to you is your asset, and it's it's something that you take for granted. Something that all of us take for granted, I think, is you're like, oh yeah, well, like me, I'm from Glasgow in Scotland. It's like, well, that would never be interesting to anyone. Mm. Like everywhere else is interesting, and you're like, no, you're just more familiar with the place around you. But if you examine it more closely, you'll see things that are done specifically in that way that would, you could you could enhance the story by making it more specific and give it more, you know, more resonance, more layers by, you know, making it more specific to to a location. Um, yeah. There's definitely that like, kind of like a, uh, what's this, like a, there's a phrase that I think nothing of this, but that, that get, getting that specific, that, that specificity in your writing, I think really, really makes things pop and like, if you know where the place that you're writing about very well, you can obviously get very specific and then your own interpretations of that layered on top of it just make it just just more, just a, a better work of fiction, I, I think. And I, and I hope that that's coming through in my writing the last couple of years more. Mm-hmm. Definitely something um, that I focus on. And it must have been easier for you to see what those things that were specific about Ireland's, you know, life there, what those were after you came back from Japan? Yeah, it was, um, it was, it was weird. It was like my like reverse culture shock thing was absolutely bizarre. Like <laughs> I was talking to all my friends about this and I think he, we, we thought that maybe I might've had dementia or something like that because like, I, like I came home and you know, it was in, it was in Japan and basically like I got rid of like all my, all my Irish slang when I was there and I, I would make my sentences like quite, uh, I, for, for simplistic, or simplistic yeah and then kind of like there would be Japanese sprinkled in like I was never like a great speaker of Japanese but I could speak like a little bit bits and pieces and like that would kind of like be like just dotted throughout my language so when I came home and like everyone's like speaking in slang and everyone speaks 90 miles an hour like that for the first few months like I just felt like I couldn't really keep up with any conversation so there was a real kind of like going going out and meeting people in the pub and stuff like that and being really outside of everything else i think that mm. definitely gave me like a real perspective on like what things actually felt like in a very alien kind of manner so i think that came through in the story as well hmm yeah do you feel like your personality changed from being in japan yeah or were you different over there uh yeah, I think I think so. I think um, I think it made me more calm. I think as a person, just because I was living by myself and I was in a town with like I think I was the only English speaker in the town of forty thousand people, and so yeah, so you kind of have to like understand that you're you're the bottom rung of the ladder, and then kind of you know conduct yourself appropriately because you're in somebody else's country, and kind of like you know I think you start taking things like a bit slower. And I think even like my sister and my mother came over to visit me maybe a couple of years after I'd been there and they were just kind of like my sister in particular was just like, oh, like you're just like, so much more calm and like level. And now whether I've maintained any of that calmness since I've returned home, I'm not sure. But like at the time she was like, oh, like, you're definitely like not as kind of, uh, I don't know the word for it is, but just de- definitely a more kind of calm kind of person. So yeah, I think definitely changed me because and even like you were speaking and i was speaking in japanese like again not a great speaker but i'd have to speak and try my best and you kind of like you focus more on what you're saying and and kind of you know you're 
you're more patient with other people because you know that they're trying their best to speak to you in a way that you can understand. So yeah, that, definitely mm. a lot of changes for sure. Would you find mm. similarly that, you know, living in Norway has changed how you are? Uh, yeah, definitely. I feel like um, Glasgow, I would say, is kind of, it's not that it, it's like a different kind of friendliness, right? I mean, everyone in Glasgow, you can walk up to them and they'll have a chat with you as if you're friends. Mm. Um, whereas here in Norway, everyone uh, kind of leaves you alone in a nice way. It's, it's like it's, it's, a, it's two different forms of politeness in two different countries. Um, but I'm more like people in Savangar, Norway than I am people in Glasgow, I find. And therefore, like, it's, it feels like a, a place that's more homogeneous with people like me. And that's not necessarily a good thing, you know, like everyone just leaving each other alone for too long. That's what it feels like. <laughs> right. um, so, yeah, it, it's a very unique culture. I mean, my brother lives in Japan, and and I think that oh, cool. if there's any kind of similarity in our experience, it, it, it's living in a country with a culture that's so strong that you'll never really be part of it. Yeah, um, yeah, there definitely is that. Probably like one of the main reasons I came home. Yeah, it's like so, you know, the the way of being. I don't know what a polite, I don't know what a kinder word than zealotry is for it, but like the kind of the way to help you out is to make you as Norwegian as possible. Speak our language, eat our foods, like climb up the mountains, go skiing. Um, these are things that will make you, like, we all agree that that will make you a better person, like a happier person, because right. it makes all of us happy, rather mm -hmm. than being like, you're different, I'm going to meet you on your terms. There's not, <laughs> there's, there's not much understanding of that, particularly here in Stavanger more so than Oslo, that was a bit more uh internationally minded but mm. that's fine um yeah it's fine for me like i before i came back to savanger i was i was flying to this little island where um there was a, a yard where i was helping them with engineering work there and lots of people were like i can't i, I don't understand how you can live there like no it's so tiny yeah. you don't see anyone and i was like listen I mostly stay indoors and read books. It doesn't matter to me particularly where I am in the world. Yeah. So people are always just like, what's it like? What's that place like? And I'm like, well, they had a roof. I was under it. I read some <laughs> books. Like, <laughs> so I think like as a writer now, I've given myself permission not necessarily to always set stories in particular locations because a lot of the stories I tell don't, don't need particular locations mm -hmm. because I'm more spend a lot of time in my own head, you know? Right. And that's, that's okay. I think that um, I, I would encourage all writers to try and consider how to incorporate where they live into their stories. But if you're anything like me, you're not really paying attention. Yeah, <laughs> so, so it's just totally, totally fine. I think like it's not even the case of <clears throat> I'd never be prescriptive enough to be like, oh, everyone should set stories in, in the place they're from or anything like that. But just more like <clears throat> for me, I knew that I kept on reading stories set in Ireland and I hated them. Like, I just hated reading them. I hated, like, because even when they were referencing stuff that I knew, I was like, that's just saying, just making it sound way crapper than it actually is. Like, there's just, <laughs> just sort of real element of like, I, I can, everyone settle down. I'll do this much better. Like, that's kind of how I almost felt I wanted, like, write my settings or to improve my settings or make them more kind of like, um, make them more like the Ireland that I think I understand a bit better. Um, yeah, I think the last the last story I wrote that I was quite proud of, I think I sat in 16th century Germany. So that was a that was a bit different. <laughs> so I tried to <laughs> tried to do something that was a bit different with that one. But like 
Yeah, I, I think like sense of place is always kind of like a fun thing to explore. But um, when you're saying like, you know, they're not set, your stories, they're not set anywhere particular. Is that because you're just not thinking of a particular place or just you're making up a place or what What kind of, has that work in terms of your, your settings, I guess? Because I think that like the human behavior that I'm writing about is universal and timeless in a lot of cases. And therefore it doesn't necessarily matter where it takes place. And in fact, if I don't give it a place, and I'm suggesting that it happens everywhere, it can be more powerful in some circumstances. Like if you're writing science fiction, you're writing about uh, how a concept might play out. And it might be a concept that doesn't exist. And if it doesn't exist, then where is it going to exist? Like maybe, maybe it could crop up anywhere. Who knows who's going to get it first or if it's ever going to exist, you know? Mm -hmm. So in stories like that, location doesn't matter as much. And I can get it out faster it's like i could sometimes i do set science fiction stories like in specific locations and then i do try and incorporate what people in that culture are like and when you do that um you can make a stronger story uh but you know where you achieve the density of a good story can come from setting in a particular location in in terms of the science fiction i write i suppose in particular the density comes from the density of the made-up ideas of the science fiction concepts, um, if that makes sense. So I think that like what so do you I primarily find... write sci-fi? Is that science fiction? Is that what you mostly write? Um, like, it's kind of at the moment it's half that and half horror. Okay. Um, it kind of strikes me that... a little bit when you're describing it. Sorry, I'm gonna keep putting you off. Go for it. <laughs> uh, and when you're describing it, kind of, it makes me think of like a like a Thomas Ligotti story or like a Brian Evanson story, where it feels like it could be anywhere. But I don't know if that's like mm. what your style is, right? But that's kind of that's my reference points as you're as you're as you're speaking there. I see your point. Yeah, and I, those are good examples of writers where, um, and particularly Evanson, like the otherworldliness comes from the fact that you don't know where these things are happening. Um, yeah. So it can be an advantage sometimes. Um, Nobody knows anything, I guess. <laughs> and what, try stuff out, you know. Try stuff out. Really landmark moments in this. We've we've said nothing means anything. Um, in the in the long run, nothing really matters. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we probably should write down like a list of our. Well, also, also how you were talking, it seemed like what you were saying was that what made you calmer uh, in Japan was learning that you're. Not, not you in particular, but just like people aren't that special to one another, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is true. I think it's a yeah, nice I, thing. It's def I definitely is a, a nice thing to have realized. I think one of the things I really gravitate towards, and it's it's such a, like you were saying at one point, you were like, yeah, I hate being told what to do. And it's like, yeah, I also hate being told what to do. But in Japan, there's like a real sense of hierarchy. And I really enjoyed the sense of hierarchy where I'm like, I know where I stand in relation to everything else. And that always gave me some weird sense of calm where I'm like, yeah, I know that I'm not in charge of this. So I'm not going to really worry about it because I am a lower rung on the ladder because that guy's in charge or, or that lady's in charge. Or, you know, it, it just that made me feel a bit more kind of like secure in where I was. Yeah. Um, which is just not a th and then I think I came home and I think I was talking to somebody about it and I was like yeah I love this aspect of this and people were like you like being told what to do I was like ah, not that I like being told what to do but like I like knowing where I am <laughs> I think that makes mm. it easier for me to kind of navigate my day to day yeah definitely I think that like um, at least I experience it as growing up as an adult like you feel very um, you feel very powerful and special the younger you are and then like when you see how 
much effort it takes to get stuff done and how much it just like doesn't pan out often and that's not your fault mm -hmm. um it's it, it's nice in a way because it's like it's not like you don't feel as responsible for i don't know your even your own successes and failures i suppose um and that's a nice thing as opposed to the message a message that seems to be very common now which is like everyone everyone's involved nobody's too small and everyone can achieve stuff you're like shit what should i be achieving what should i be doing where should i be going um yeah. i don't know yeah i do think that whole kind of um feeling of like yeah everyone everyone has to achieve all the time is a very yeah it's a i guess it's intrinsically a very capitalist idea to be kind of like i'm I am always achieving more and I'm always doing more, but it's like, you don't mm. have to, like, you don't, no one has to do anything if they want to do it. Like, if you don't want to write, you don't have to write. Like, you know, if you don't want to make art, <laughs> you don't have to do it. Like, like as you, as we said, like, no one's asking us to do any of these things. Like, you don't have to do yeah. it if you don't want to. But there's obviously some kind of, like, inner need to just kind of give it a go, I guess. I think that's another excellent, um, another excellent uh, point that we've landed on for this podcast that you don't have to write. <laughs> <laughs> you don't. Right, you don't have to do this. No, like, if you, you might feel you've got this great novel inside you, but if it never came out, no one would notice. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, make absolutely no difference. Whatsoever. Yeah. And, you know, if it came out, maybe no one would notice anyway. So chill out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pressing episode of this podcast. <laughs> I don't know if you choose to see that in a, de in a depressing way, I suppose it is, but it's also true. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, God. Um, turn around anywhere else to go with that. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't want me either. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. what I wanted to ask. Did you meet Kelly Robson? I didn't meet Kelly Robson. Um, I signed up to Richard Thomas's Day of Reckoning class, which is like a like an all day kind of event of like different lectures uh, by different writers. So uh, Kelly Robson was one. Uh, Priya Sharma was another. Uh, Lily Llewellyn, Gabino Iglesias. Uh, I'm definitely missing something. Lucy Snyder. Um, mm -hmm. There's somebody else. I know. Sarah Reed. Uh, yeah, there was a there was a bunch of really great writers like kind of just giving their own kind of like lectures slash talk on like an aspect of writing. So Kelly Robson was one, and she was discussing her story. Uh, what's it? it's the one on tour? Uh, a human is it a human stain or human stain? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah, discussing that, which was it was actually it was it was really interesting. But it was there was real. Have you read that story yet? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's not in the story, but someone was asking about like what the things in the in the water are or what what mm -hmm. those what those are and and then I, I won't tell anybody because i don't want to be the person that's telling him but the, the answer was just like so bonkers and kind of like wait that's not the story i just remember just being like it does, like it was one of those things where she told us what those things were but it has no place in the story or at least I, when i read it i don't i don't remember it being uh, i just but I, I just read the story and i can't remember being like right okay i didn't pick up on that but i don't think that was i don't think it's necessary to pick up on that to enjoy the story uh because the story is like it, it has a whole different um arc than, than you needing to know that but mm -hmm. i remember just thinking like it just goes to show you that you can think whatever you want about your own story but it doesn't make a difference if it's not actually in the story yeah 
I mean, I don't know about you, but I find when I'm writing first drafts, sometimes I can have like whole conversations between characters where I feel like um, I understand their relationship to one another really well, so much better, and then I just delete it later because I'm like, it's not. Now I know how they feel about one another, but it's not part of the story, or at least it might inform their interactions, right. but it doesn't. The the exact conversation where I learned about that with them isn't part of it, you know. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I do think like that stuff is like really key and important, and like for, for providing depth for yourself. I think more than anything, just to kind of like give yourself that kind of like this is like interesting, and and I can definitely make my story stronger by knowing it. But mm -hmm. I also think like at the end of the day, like the thing that you are showing people in the story that's there, like if people like I. <clears throat> As part of a workshop like recently enough and I, I i submitted the story and there was a character and their motivation like they, they were discussing the motivation of that character and they're like oh it must be this and i was like oh no it's it's clearly and i gave them what i what i thought as the writer was their motivation and they were just kind of that's what that's not in the story like you haven't you haven't kind of explained that or even hinted at that so that can't be the motivation it's yeah, it's one of those things that it can help you as the writer, but when people start reading it, they are bringing their own interpretations and their own ideas. And if you haven't shown them what you want to show them, it doesn't really matter what you think to yourself, or at least that's what I think. Maybe like that you, what you know about your own story doesn't really matter if you haven't told people. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I think that, um, yeah, you're leaving space for other people's interpretations. Mm. Um, as long as you've got the series of events done, that's the main thing you know yeah how much explanation you need to go into i don't know i'm writing something at the moment for our club to act out and it's about conspiracy theories that each character has one and i said well look i need one of these theories to be correct so that i know what the plot is hmm. but i can take out all the evidence after the fact for who was correct um and i think that's going to work in this case and i think that's uh that's the best way to go about it. It doesn't really matter. Though I know that um I don't know, I know some people who don't don't like it when all the information isn't provided. They feel yeah. that it's like missing you know, the writer hasn't done their job, but I don't agree. Yeah, with... I, I I don't know how I feel, but I've last year that story I said that I did a lot of research for is uh, it was a Sherlock Holmes story. It was for like Sherlock Holmes anthology. Mm -hmm. And I wrote I wrote the story I got super into Sherlock Holmes read all the stuff mm -hmm. man Sherlock Holmes is great <laughs> I read all that stuff and uh like and I'd written this first draft and I kind of like gave it to people and they were like yeah like you know it's a, it's it's all right like but you know you don't really kind of the, the mystery isn't in the story like I kind of the, the way that it kind of unraveled it would there was stuff happening I guess like off page that people were privy to so the ending they didn't feel it was justified because they didn't have all the information leading up to it. So they couldn't guess the ending. So then mm -hmm. I rewrote it so that like you technically could work out the, the central mystery of it. And I thought it was really kind of like fun. I was like, yeah, that's a great way to write it. And anyway, the story didn't get accepted to the anthology. So also it wasn't a great story, but like I just recently reread it and uh, I just was, I see all the clues and I was like, that, I don't know if that's, good or not like just having the clues in there I don't, it, for me it, it kind of seems a bit heavy-handed and uh maybe, mm -hmm. bit, maybe almost like a bit of an antiquated way of writing like maybe that's not really how fiction should be now but yeah i don't know i don't really know how to feel about it and i'm not really sure how to approach making that into something else because i'm like should i leave that in there should i leave that mystery as a thing or yeah well you said something that isn't true which is it wasn't accepted therefore it's not good that's not true 
You know? Well, yeah, you're very right. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's it's not. Right. It just wasn't suitable for the for the anthology. I think uh, the exact words of the editor was like, "There's definitely a good story in here, but it needs a bit more editing." And I was like, "Oh, fair enough." Um, but I, I, it was one of those things that I just for some reason got really wrapped up in for like a couple of months, where it's all I wrote, and I really shouldn't have been that obsessed with it. that. That's one of those things that I, I definitely known learned about myself is that I can't. I can't just write one thing for several months on end because by the end of I won't want to write anything at all because I think mm-hmm. I worked on that for like three or four months and then after that I took a break for three months because I was like ah that sucked like like that experience sucked because at the end of it I have the story that I can't really use for anything else and I'm not really that keen on rewriting it so yeah would you work on multiple things at once or are you like a one- oh yeah definitely and like themed anthologies can fuck off (laughs) 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 gonna gonna reject me and then leave me with a story i can't use anywhere cheers like what you're gonna pay me what a cent per words for it anyway oh no like i'm out 50 bucks in three months of my time (laughs) so i totally totally agree i don't write for those typically but um yeah, no, I definitely, anyway, I do work on several things at once. And I think, again, it's that thing we're talking about, like, taking the pressure off each individual thing. And I always say that, like, good stories are what you discover. They're not what you know already. So then you don't feel like you're just dictating a bunch of interesting stuff to prove how clever you are. You're kind of, well, you know, if this one pans out today or next week, then that's great. Or if this one is the one that I become more interested in, that's good as well. So I'm working on so many things at once that I forget. And suddenly you find a Google doc with thousands of words in it. And you're like, oh, cool. All I need to do is finish this. That's, that's <laughs> just, a lovely feeling. Just move this paragraph and boom, done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. And then you're just like, oh, like, I forgot. I, you know, researched all of that and plotted the whole thing out. So yeah, I definitely advocate writing on writing a whole bunch of things at once and submitting a whole bunch of things at once. And like, I wrote this entire paragraph yesterday and then just deleted it because it was a summary of a submission I'm waiting to hear back from which is like uh 512 days I've got my fingers crossed oh that they'll get back God. to me any day now <laughs> they <laughs> oh, shortlisted someone... it like they shortlisted it this time last year which I found out after asking them like a month after they said they would get back to me and I was afraid to ask them even because sometimes I follow up with them and say listen you said you get back to me by January it's February you didn't like have you thought about it and they're like uh don't clog up our inboxes with these emails like we'll get back to you if we want it you know how how dare you even ask It, it, it really depends on the publisher right in this case they were like cheers like thanks for asking and you've been shortlisted and it's it's like cool you didn't think to tell me and then that, that was a year ago, so it's been shortlisted for a full year. I'm not allowed to submit it anywhere else. But imagine, like, fine, because imagine that was all I'd done. Imagine that was all I submitted. And imagine this was, like, how I made my money. That would drive yeah. me insane. So s- write loads, submit loads, don't worry too much about it. And, it, it's, it, you know, if people like you and me can read, you know, highly praised and prize-winning stories and not enjoy them, then... Editors can also read stories that we've written that are very good that maybe they don't think are, and doesn't necessarily mean they're right. That kind of, like knowing when that's happening takes a long time of submitting to to figure out, you know. Yeah, I'm very very new to the submitting game to be honest. Like I've been writing for like a while, but I haven't really like made 
submitting stuff like a, a, a real solid part of my process. I'm trying to get better at it, but I've got like three or four submissions at the moment, which is like the most I've ever had ever. And uh, yeah, like I, I've reshooting at the moment for like stuff that pays, but like that has like a quick turnaround so I can get rejected quickly and then move on to the next thing. But um, yeah, seeing things that are like, you know, it's like average response time of 400 days, but they don't accept simultaneous submissions i'm just kind of like what <laughs> like come on <laughs> why'd, you, why'd you even let me send you anything at this point you know yeah yeah and particularly when you're like guys can you at least admit that that's weird they're like no, <laughs> yeah. no. Like, no just have it done like, if you want to get into our magazine you just have to wait that long and you're like no that's that's insane like, yeah, no, like that long without, like, as you say, like without any feedback, like, like where it is in the process or the pile or if it's been shortlisted, you know? No, they did. Uh, three weeks ago, they told me they would let me know within two weeks. So it's just <laughs> <laughs> it's not like they didn't get back to me. Uh, yeah, sorry. They did I, after I about 400, 480 days, they did get back to me, ah, okay. saying that I would know by now and I don't. So, uh, <laughs> Let's slightly so, uh, tell a lie. <laughs> <laughs> um, God. Yeah. Dear, I feel like we've we've covered a lot of um, I don't know, interesting stuff about the, all different aspects of the process. Yeah, I think we have. Yeah. It's been yeah. lovely talking to you. It's been great talking to you, man. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. So that was Jonathan Cosgrove. I hope you enjoyed the chat. Do check out uh, Crystal Lake Publishing's Arterial Bloom Anthology. Um, and if you have anything you want to let me know about the show, uh, just send me an email at losingthepluppodcast at gmail.com and I look forward to hearing from you. Um, but that's all from me for this episode. So until next time, thanks for listening. Bye bye.